Welcome to Veterans Day of Mind. I'm your host, Garen Jones. And today, I'm joined by Mrs. Alana Stott. Alana, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you doing? I'm so glad you didn't introduce me as Mrs. Dean Stott, so that's what's good. It's a good start. Does that happen a lot, does it? It does. Um, I'm often addressed as either Dean's wife or the wife of the Special Forces guy or, yeah. So Alana Stott and herself is a person. It's interesting. Although, to be fair, maybe like the wife of the Special Forces guy is to just tell people, do not fuck with this person or you will get fucked up. Yeah. But um, you're a busy bee. You have got a lot going on. Congratulations on your MBE. Well deserved. Um, I was awesome. I mean, I'm not sure if I'll ever get over the pictures of Dean in a kilt, but... Um. <laughs> or Tommy in what he called a quilt. It was a, a quilt. He didn't. He hated it, and he hated every. He hated everything about being fancy. My seven-year-old son. <laughs> well, well, you look, you look great, and I'm glad you had a great time. Um, well deserved. So, congratulations on that. There's loads that we could go into. You. You've had an incredibly, incredibly busy, incredibly impressive life. You're a prolific author. You've done all kinds of all kinds of different things for all kinds of different people. We've got a few books coming out, so we're going to do a couple of episodes because if this was Joe Rogan, we might be able to fit them all in and, uh, if we had a few hours, but we haven't. So I want to kind of um, start with your kind of background because we'll talk more in the next episode about what it's like to be a military spouse. But what was it like to be a military child, a pad brat, if you will? What was that? What 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 was that like growing up? You know, my dad left the military um, before I was even born, so I actually didn't spend any time in the military world. Um, he was he was in Northern Ireland, and then he got out uh, just before I was born. So, and that was a kind of a choice he made because he was in with my with my brother. Um, so he, him, and my, uh, my brother were raised by my mum when when he left. So uh, she was a single mum. Um, she had a third child as well. So she she was raising three kids in Aberdeen, Scotland, a kind of council estate there. Um, you know, super impressive woman who was worked three jobs. We always had food. We always had clothes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But any sort of extras was all on us. So that was where the the working life really began. So I, I started working when I was eleven. And from from there, that was it was that was the way we were brought up. Is you want any work for it? So you started work at eleven. By age twelve, you had two jobs. <laughs> like I actually did, yeah. You know, like you said, like that was the way you were brought up. But was it something that you embraced, or was it some, or, or was it something that I mean, right? So right now, for people, because obviously we just recording on audio, you're in first form HQ right now. Um, you know, we've had Andy on the podcast, you know, kind of entrepreneurship is, I think, a trait, a talent that some people, obviously it requires hard work, but it's something that maybe, do you think it's in some people? Was it in you? Is it something that drove you? I guess when the question is, is, is nature or nurture really, you know, my older brother, he, he wasn't so interested. Um, I wanted things I wanted to do other things so money is a requirement of that like one of my biggest passions was always helping people so those were my two things where I like to make money and I like to help people so those two things kind of combined so 11 my first job wasn't even paid because the, the guy said that I was too young to pay I wasn't too young to have working in his place but I was too young to pay but what it did do was it was a 
a railway cafe down the uh, the train station and they they had these ham and cheese croissants and ham and cheese croissants were like a luxury in my world so um i worked for for food and what i i would do was i would use that experience to learn about you know working in a till working customer service working in the catering environment and, and so when my next job at 12 came up I had this experience already. So I wasn't just walking in the door at 12 years old saying, pay me. I was saying, well, I know how to do this. I know how to do it. So I got £1.50, uh, I think, was the, the salary when I went to the, the fish and chip shop. But this guy was uh, a raging alcoholic, basically. And he would just basically open the door, turn on the fryers and, and head off to the pub and just leave me to to do the work. So I probably done a lot of food poisoning at that time. <laughs> Again, and that was like where the, I guess the management head came on because it was just all on me. So I was in there doing, doing these things. And then really out of the catering, it was when I was about 13, that was when my brother went, well, actually I see Alana making money. So I want to get some of this. I want to be able to buy stuff. So he asked me if I would, if he found this job that was in telemarketing and he said, would you mind calling up to get me this job? Because he was too embarrassed to make the phone call. So I called the lady and the lady spoke to me and she was like, yeah, sure, we'll have your brother in, but would you be interested in coming in? Uh, I was like, yeah, sure, but it was a commission-only job, something I'd never really heard of at this time. And it was how much you sell is how much you make. So I was like, that's cool, I can do that. Um, went in and I learned everything there was about the, the sales process there. And then I guess as I spent a bit of time there, it was as my mum was getting more and more sick. So what it started off with, like, this gets me extra treats and extra luxuries, uh, was now starting to become a, a more of a necessity because she was getting sicker, so she couldn't do her job, so there was bills needing to be paid. So our money was starting to go to help in the bill payment. And then when she ended up in the hospice and it was it was kind of over for her, the full responsibility then lay with me. So there was, like, three jobs that I was doing while going to school and while my little brother was just six at the time as well. So... There was a lot to kind of juggle, um, but what you learned was about about that art of management and balancing and, and all these things that come into, I guess, the working life in a woman as well. Because later on, it would that skills that I developed at 14, 15 came when I needed them, when I had three children myself, had businesses and, and a husband to manage. So you mentioned that you wanted to help people. Where, where, where did that come from? I guess the biggest influence on my life, my great auntie Molly. So she she passed away a couple of years ago and during COVID. She was ninety five, and she was she was born nineteen twenty four. She was she worked all her life like that was her thing. She she never had a day off sick, never never married and never drank. That was her secret to longevity. I guess no men and no alcohol. Um, but she really taught me the the importance of helping other people first. You know, so even. As young kids, it was, you know, you get up and let somebody sit on the seat on the bus. Um, if somebody needs a hand with something, you help them. If you can help someone with their shopping, you, you do it. So the little things that you can find and develop as you as you grow from a really young age, there's always someone that needs help. And she 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 taught me that and it kind of was embedded in me. And I guess I realized really young that it feels good to help people. And the more that I would see people that needed help, I would say, well, I've got these abilities that I can help them. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And that really was a super young age. I think I was about eight when I, I, I seen the, the issues in Ethiopia and I was like, I'm going to do a sponsored famine and raise some money. So there was always, I would see problems and I would want to help them. Yeah. I mean, that's the, um, 
not dirty little secret, but you know, the helping people like obviously it is a selfless act, but at the same time, like you do like as humans, we get a reward out of helping people. Like it gives us a, a great, a great feeling, a, a great feeling too. It's like a win-win for, for, for everyone really. Was it like a, a conscious thing that you had in your mind or was it just because you'd seen it through example, you never even had to think about it. It was just there. That's, this is just the way we do things. Again, it's back to that nature of tree. You know, I, I, I had uh, people that were living in our same household who, I mean, my dad, my dad probably won't listen to this, but if he does, apologies, dad. But he is very much about himself and his direct, like, you know, me, my brothers, and him and that's kind of it like he doesn't get he 100% doesn't get why I do why I do it but it really it confuses him but for me it's just always been in me so whether I mean I guess my mom was probably a really kind person and she always liked helping people um some some of my siblings m- maybe go the other way but so I, I've never been able to answer that nature and nurture I just know that it's always I've always since a really young age thought about other people and like enjoyed helping other people and yeah with the I mean 100% there's a karma side of it I always find that if I'm having a bit of a shitty time or if things aren't going so well for me I do something good for someone else just some random act of kindness and things always start to improve so there is definitely some sort of karma element to it as well but it is a feel-good factor Uh, so okay so you mentioned when you first started doing the job you're working for food essentially it was like a bit of a batter kind of economy where do you stand on, without trying to get too political here, because, you know, like there's a lot of, and I understand some of the reasons for it, but, you know, we hear a lot of time now about, you know, we've got to raise minimum wage and everything like that. Now, if that was the case, you never would have had those jobs and those opportunities, right? So, you know, where, where, do, you kind of, where do you kind of stand on that? No, so when my mom... Um, got really sick, you know, so she was in the hospice and we had the three kids at home and we applied for some some help because there was rent to be paid, there was bills to be paid. But my brother had started university and he'd been given a grant for for books, which he'd already bought all his books. And But that came into our, our total income when we'd done the calculation. So we got 10, 10 pounds a week was how much we were given by the government to help the family. So this was a six-year-old, a 14-year-old and a 17-year-old. Um, and I remember there was a guy up the road who was like a raging alcoholic, drugs, all the rest of it. And he was getting like loads of money for having these, these issues. So I never, I used to look at that and be like, I never want to be relying on anybody. Now I do understand that some people can't help it. And there's always a circumstance where a person might need a little bit of a hand up, but fully support someone on a hundred percent basis. I don't, I think it's a disservice because everybody needs to learn to, to fight for what it is that they want. Now, like I'm a woman who was growing up in Aberdeen, which is a quite a Masonic area, I guess. And there was, there's, there's always been that kind of battle of what women could do. So there's a lot of women who will go out there and shout about equal rights and about equal pay. I've never been that woman. I just go and I prove what it is that I can do. So if I have to start on the lower wage and then go and improve, I'll do that and I'll show like what I can do. And then I'll say, you know, a lot of people ask me, um, it's right in how to ask for money. People have said, how do I get a pay rise? And I've heard so many people ask for a pay rise and they'll be like, well, I've been here for a really long time and I just deserve it. Or Jez has got more money than me or he's doing this. That's bullshit. You need to approach it in the way of, well, 
these are the facts and figures. This is what I do for the company. This is how I've um, advanced it. Um, you know, have that information there, prove that you're worth that money that you're offering, and then give them more reason to be able to say no. So if you have to start at minimum wage or if you have to go in at a lower amount, just make sure you've got the plan of how you're going to get to that to that next stage. But what is the minimum wage in the country? I mean, I was on one one pound fifty on the on the first part. I don't, I'm actually sure what minimum wage is in the UK right now. But if you don't want to be on that low amount, then put a plan together to to how you're going to progress through that company and show them that you're worth more. All right, one silly question before we get into a serious one: Have you ever eaten battered Mars bars? Is that a thing in Scotland? I have. I have. Do you recommend? Um, it is amazing. <laughs> I had to ask that one because you were you were working the chip shop. I had to know. Um, but let, okay, let's get into something more serious, right? You're a highly driven person. Sounds like you always have been. How do you manage in a workplace? Because quite on, let's be quite honest, not everyone's a highly driven person. How how did you and how now do you deal with people who aren't on that same kind of wavelength as you? So when I was working in the bank. We were on we were on a salary, but we were on a commission basis too. So you could earn your basic, and then you would earn some more for for more work you'd done. So every night I was working, like I would work, 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 and make all this extra cash. And there was when I remember when I got the job in the in the bank, um, and found out it was unlimited. So you could literally earn as much as you wanted to earn, how hard you wanted to work. I was like, this is amazing. I'm going to earn so much. So my staff, I just automatically believed that they would be of that same mindset and they would want to like you know five o'clock they would then want to like have a cup of coffee and, and, and move into the next stage to earn all this money and there was one woman in particular that I just couldn't get her to work I just couldn't get her to like she she worked okay during that nine to five but then as soon as five o'clock the coat was on and she was out the door there was nothing I could do to get her I was like look there's all this money to be made you're not even trying what's wrong with you and then there was this one night that I was I was, it was a late night in Scotland. I was getting ready for my shift. She's the five o'clock hits her coats on. She's at the door. And, you know, I'm shaking my head as I'm making that pot of coffee, watching the snow fall outside. And I watch her come out of the building and she runs across and she's got this huge smile on her face. She's super motivated. I've never seen that motivation on her. Like she is like on it. And I'm looking across to what, and she's running across and there's her daughter who's just had a baby. So her, her little granddaughter's in the pushchair and she's like, embracing the daughter picking up the baby just so so happy like really happier than I've ever seen and I just thought at that point it just the penny just dropped I was like this is her motivation like this is literally her motivation every day is to get to this moment and so I started studying motivations a bit more and finding out about the motivations that people have and then that was my first task for every new member of staff that I ever worked with was find out exactly what motivates that person and then I do it with like people daily life you know my my friends my family my work colleagues I find out what motivates them and that helps me get them to do what I want them to do so that would be my you can't get people to motivate by your motivations doesn't work that's a fucking great point um and I mean that is applicable to business it's applicable to the military it's applicable to sports teams it's like that is that is universal so Listeners, get your notes and pen book out now. Write that one down because that is that is fucking gold. All right. You've written a book. No, you've written several books. But we're going to concentrate on one today. And the reason I really wanted to talk to you about this is because I'm sure the same way. I'll get people hit me up 
on Instagram. Never spoken to him before. Get a DM. Hi, I'm doing this thing. Can you contribute some money to it? No previous relationship. No plan. No nothing. And especially in this day of Nigerian scammers and stuff, I'm like, well, okay, not just Nigerians, just, but people are very bad about asking money. And I think this book you've done is, it's a really important book because it's something that, you know, you know, you know, you mentioned the book, you know, it's, it's a super strength really to be able to do this because for some reason or another in society, we have like a, a, an unwillingness to ask for money. And I don't, know if, if, I don't know if you've ever listened to, have you ever listened to Jordan Peterson? Yeah. So like, well, you know, one of his things, he says that one of the reasons men get quite often pay rises more than women is because men are willing to be more disagreeable, quote unquote disagreeable. So, you know, that might be that they're like, look, like you said, here's my figures. Here's what I've done. I deserve this pay rise. But I, I would disagree with him in the fact that that is a male and female thing. I would say that just a lot of people are, are unwilling to, to, to kind of ask for money, even though when they think they deserve it. Um, so I think, like you said, like I said, this is a very important book that you've done. So can you first start by telling us why you wrote the book? On the male and female part, there, I mean, there is kind of studies showing, I'm, I'm not going to go into like facts and figures, but I guess they, they say that men are going 60% prepared. Women feel like they need to be more to the 90, 100% before they ask. So I think that's why women are a bit more reluctant because they want to, to really show that they're, they're worth it. The book was written really over all the years of asking for money. I've never stuck to one way of doing that. I've from, you know, from 11 asking for the first job to, Going into telemarketing, door-to-door sales, I was a debt collector, I was a bank manager. I've learned different ways that I can get people to give me money. But I was with a colleague one day in Newport in Orange County in California. Super prominent guy, you know, Ferrari outside, whatever it might be, you know, really business savvy guy. And we were having this meeting and he said, I need to take this call. And then he came back and he literally turned white. He was sweating. He was, he turned white and I was like, what's wrong? Like, if somebody just died, what's going on? He's like, oh, I just hate this part. I said, what part is it? He said, I've got to, you know, ask for the money. I've got to ask for the payment. I was like, well, what's wrong with that? And he said, oh, I hate asking for money. He said, don't you? And I was like, no, I don't. I love that. I love that. It's my favorite part. And he was like, well, you're totally unique because most people hate it. Most people hate that stage. It's up there with public speaking, et cetera, of, of people's greatest fears. And he says, why don't I? I said, well, I've just, you know, for the years, I've just come up with this thing. And he said, you need to write a book. And I guess that's really where, where the conversation came from. And I thought, well, you know, I could write this down. And it was initially, I was writing it down for, to help nonprofits, because a lot of people would ask me to help them with, with fundraising. So I thought, if I write something down, and then it just, as I started coming up with the, you know, why are people scared of asking for money? What is it like when people do approach people on the internet and say, give me some money? Like, how awkward can it be? What are people doing right? What are people doing wrong? And as I started putting it together, I was like, yeah, this is a book. There's so much information there. And, you know, I really do start with things like motivation, how to identify motivations and things. And then, and then I go into to fear and why why people are afraid to ask for money or why people are afraid of anything. And I try and flip people's mindset on how they deal with their fear. There's a lot of books, you know, you, your special forces guys, I won't name the names, but they talk about fear and they talk about how they fight fear and all this everybody's got fear. It's bullshit if you say you don't have fear. I don't know anybody who doesn't have fear in their life. But 
it's how you deal with it and how you can flip the switch on how you're thinking about it. And the, the greatest thing for me is, is knowledge. The, the more you know about a subject or the more you know about whatever it is you're dealing with, the less fear you've got, you've got around it. So I thought if I can put that into a formula and the formula that I developed is basically called maps and the maps, you know, came from the, the basics of what maps are getting you from A to B. Um, maps is the same thing. It's, it's about mindset, accountability, planning, strategy. And I put all that down as to what you need to know and how you gather that information. And it's like anything else. It's like you could take it a little bit of each part of it and do a little bit. You do it all. I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm going I'm in America, I'll get sued, but I'm not guaranteed <laughs> success, but you know, you, you'll uh, you, you put it together and I'm, I'm telling you, you've got a better chance of it. But there is also a section in the book called how not to ask for money. For example, DMing someone and saying, you know, give me, yes, you will. You will get, and I've made all these mistakes and that's why I'm, I'm speaking about it. You will get the people that will just do direct approach. Like I'm doing this fundraising and a lot of the time it's the, the direct approach like that happens because this is a cause that is super important to you. It could be, you know, veteran suicide. It could be human trafficking. It could be childhood cancer. When you take on that cause, you take it on full heartedly. So when somebody else doesn't just accept that DM saying, give me money. It's almost like, why would they not? That's when you're approaching it the wrong way because you're approaching it as a cause and you're expecting everybody to feel the same way about it as you do. You have to approach it like a business plan, like you were looking for funding in your business. You need to sell them on what the benefit is to them. Now, if that's that specific topic, say, let's just take veteran suicide. If you approach a fellow veteran who is passionate about that subject you're you're likely that they're going to join in on your your cause um but if you're approaching someone who knows nothing about the community and knows nothing about that area you need to sell it in a way that this is how it's going to benefit you this is how it's going to benefit your company so however you're you're looking at it you need to make sure that you're looking at it like a business fundraising in itself is a business whether it's Nonprofit fundraising or whether you're fundraising for investment in your company, treat the fundraising process as a business in itself. Right. And we all have a finite amount of money and we all have causes that we believe in. Um, I donate to charities and they're all cat charities because that's what I care about. <laughs> <laughs> so veterans can fuck off, honestly. Um, but, but like, I was actually thinking about this the other day and f- unfortunately I was at a, um, uh, I don't want to call it a funeral, but like, a, you know, like a remembrance of life on Friday. And, you know, they had a collection there and it was for the palliative care unit who took care of our loved one. And I never would have thought about contributing to that cause before. But all of a sudden, that cause has now become very important to me because you see what they do and you want to pass that on. So I think that kind of specificity is very uh, important. Now, I'm a big believer on this podcast in not making <laughs> not making a podcast a free audio book, right? Because I want these people that are listening to this to go out and buy your books. But there's a couple of sections... Um, there's a couple of sections that I that, that I want to dig into, and the first one is you meant you mentioned it already is maps, right? So let's talk about maps. What are what are the different sections of of maps? So the first is mindset. We often walk into a room and we're 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 getting, you know even this falls into public speaking. It falls into anything. Do if we walk in in the wrong mindset, we're really setting ourselves up for failure really quickly. So. 
being prepared in your mind before you do anything that you're looking to do is super important. So I wanted to really show how we can get the, and again, it's one of them, you know, if you're training for a bodybuilding competition, I'm going to give you like a five to seven day a week plan with, with full macros and full training. But you can also take this like a little bit of each thing at a time. It's completely up to you how you take it. So really it goes quite deep into how we can prepare our mindset through meditation, through eating, through our music, through uh, exercise, sleep, sun, all these kind of things. So I really want to give people as much as I can and you can take little or you can take all out of it. But just getting yourself into that right mindset is key. An area that I'm really passionate about is the accountability side of it. Obviously, personal accountability is, is super important and making sure, you know, in my world, the buck stops with me on absolutely everything. Um, I don't blame, I don't have excuses. And I think that's something that the world could do with more of in general is just stop with the, the kind of excuses and blame that we're putting out there. But taking responsibility for your actions, but also for other people's actions. You know, you've, you know, you've wrote Dean's book, so you know a lot about some of the things that we've done, but a particular challenge that we were doing, there was one person who was assigned a lot of the tasks that needed to be done. And there was something about him that just wasn't sitting well with me. And no matter how many times he told me he'd done these tasks, I was just like, I need to double check. I need to double check. And he, you know, he would call me a micromanager. He would have a go at me. He would, but I kept kind of digging. And then long story short, he hadn't done the tasks he needed to do. But if I'd not really taken the responsibility there and, and, and probed him for it, we would have went forward and it would have been too late by the time we found out those tasks weren't done because inevitably the challenge failed. It was down to me. So I wouldn't have been able to say, yeah, but he didn't do this or she didn't do this. If the failure happens, the failure is on you. So taking personal accountability and responsibility, not just for you, but for your entire team is a super important part of getting that right. And then the most important bit, again, is planning. You know, the planning stage, as 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 Dean would say, you know, prior planning and preparation prevents piss poor performance. You know, that's that's everything. If you can get to that start line, seventy five percent, seventy five percent of the work's done. Getting to the start line, the next twenty five is is actually just doing it. But everything that comes in the plan and the the who, what, where, when, why is is what I wanted to get in there and what you need to know. So knowing your audience, knowing your team, knowing what your win is. The amount of people that I speak to that they ask for money. Well, what are you raising money for? I'm raising money for cats. Well, what 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 do you want to do with cats? Like, what is it you're raising money for? And um, well, I just want to help. I'm interested. I'm interested. <laughs> what is it? What is it you want to help with? You know, it's, and then they won't have an answer. I just want to help cats. Okay, so is it cat illnesses? Is it this? Uh, you need to know the details and know these things because when you're speaking to an investor or a donor, they're going to want to know these answers, and it's going to tell them how much you know about this. And then putting that strategy into place, so using sales techniques, using um, things like the power of silence, all these types of things that people need to uh, adapt and, and perfect, really. The more that you can do of mindset, accountability, planning, strategy, um, you're going to get a better result. And c- correct me if I'm wrong here as well, but, you know, like you, you and Dean raised a, what, it's a million pounds, a Pan-American hiring. And yeah. The people with the, a lot of money have a lot of money because they understand money. So, like, if you're shaking a tin for a quid, that person doesn't need to know a lot about money. But obviously, the higher figures you're going for, the more detailed the plan has to be because these people are successful business finance and successful financially. Yourself, you've got to meet them on that level. Yeah, and I think that treating people, you know, when 
I've heard it before where people are like, I'm going to hit this guy up because he's rich and I'm going to ask him for all this money. It's almost a disrespect. Now, this guy is, let's just take, you know, we're look, I mean, first form, we're looking at Andy Frizzella, for example. You know, he has worked hard to build that business up. He's done the sleepless nights. He's done the sacrifice. He's done the hardships. He's done the failures. He's done all the pain that goes through building up a successful business. And then some chump comes along and says, give me your money because you're rich and like, I need your help with something. It's really disrespectful. And then what's even more disrespectful is he might even actually give him the money and then he'll completely ignore him for a year. And then next year he'll come back again and say, right, you done it last year. So give it to me again. Um, so how you treat your donors is absolutely everything. So if you want to get somebody to give you, whether it, whether it is a quid or whether it's 50 grand, treat them with the, they, they, they kind of deserve. Yeah, the guy in the street shaking the tin, you're going to get the passers-by. But if you're walking into someone's room and you're saying, look, I've got this fantastic podcast. I'm, I'm looking to get sponsorship. I know this about your company. I know this about what it is that you're doing. This is what it is that I'm doing. This is how I think we align. And this is how I think we'd work great together. This is a benefit to you and how it would, how it would, would enhance your business or your personal profile. Having all that information and showing them the respect that you've done that research is going to take you that step further than just saying, well, you're rich, so get to me. Yeah, I mean, it's big word, big word coming up. Specificity is important, right? So if you've got a podcast about the gym and you go to Rolex watches and ask them for a sponsorship, you know, what's the return? So you go to a supplement company you know, like, so that, yeah, I guess that comes into the the planning too. Yeah, yeah. Find, finding the connection is really good. I put a lot of research in before I'll contact a company. So sometimes it might not be super obvious, but sometimes you can find that that company's, you know, most of them have got their CSRs available on their websites, you know, their, their mission statements and things are on there. So you can go on and you can find out a lot about a company and specifically what area it is that they're looking at helping or supporting. Um, and you might not necessarily find an instant connection, but you can sometimes find, for example, if you're looking at a company who is working specifically on their CSR, their corporate social responsibility is about mental health and children, but your charity is more human trafficking. Well, you know, child trafficking, the mental trauma that it causes, you know, you can connect that in some way. So that's part of the planning process is making sure that you're you're finding those connections before, as you say, walking into a room and saying, I just like the company. I want them to be part of this. So what's the difference then between planning and strategy? So the planning is about, you know, having all that information to hand. So you, you, you're you really doing all this fact-finding mission. So what are they? Um, who are they? What uh, what are they into? All that stuff I've just said about the CSRs, etc. The strategy is more about how you're going to do it. What is the approach going to be like? Um, how you're going to do the discussion? Who's going to make the pitch? You know, you've got a big organization. Are are you going to go in, or is your team going to go in? Are you going to do it as you know a, a kind of Zen style presentation? Um, that's the the strategic. It does mix the planning and the strategy do mix, but the strategy is more about pulling your skills into place. So using your, um, the things like the power of silence and your, your sales process and all these things, the planning's about building up the entire amount of what you're going to be using to put the strategy into place. So you've mentioned the power of silence a couple of times, which is definitely something I need to work on myself. Please explain the power of silence. 
You know, it's it's an interesting veteran thing as well because you lot never shut up. So it's, it's <laughs> something that I, uh, I with uh, with Dean a lot. But we are awkward fillers as humans. We don't like that moments of quiet. We like to fill the space. So I feel like when you've done the pitch and you go in the room, I mean, I've worked with a lot of salesmen. It just can't close. There's now apparently specific jobs for closers for people that just come in and do the closing because people really find it awkward to close a, a pitch. So you would go in there and you would do everything. You put all the plan in place. You've done the strategy. Everything's gone really, really well. You've talked. You've said everything you needed to say. You've got it all down there. And then you just keep talking and you just keep talking and you just keep talking. You don't give them any chance to absorb it, those few seconds to just take it in because it's really uncomfortable and like nobody's talking. So I'm just going to keep speaking and I'm just going to keep filling. But something that um, I talk about in the book is the practice of the samurai, similar to how they adapt their mindset. They practice the power of silence as well and how that moment of complete silence is is your time to win. You know, whoever kind of breaks first losing. So they will feel the need to fill it if you don't. So you want to be, if you can master that, and I always say 10 seconds, 10 seconds is a good masterful time. It doesn't sound a lot, but if you stay silent for, for 10 seconds, it, it, it can get really uncomfortable and then they'll start to fill. And that is when you're going to get your wins and you're going to find out information. If you keep talking, you're not getting that. Well, I remember the first time you and me met, and um, I turned down a coffee and you went like, oh my God, is this on you or you without coffee? <laughs> um, so, yeah, you told me this lesson earlier. I'm still learning. I'm still learning on it. Right. There's, like I said, there's so much we could go into here. There's, there's everything from gratitude, value, engage. I mean, it, it really is a, a, I'm trying to keep my swearing down. It really is a brilliant step-by-step guide. And like I said, the reason I feel like this is so valuable for the audience is because we have veterans coming out looking to get into business, which often requires investment. You know, I would say, and you know this yourself firsthand, I think veterans are fantastic when it comes to charitable causes and everything like that. And I think that if people read this book, they are going to have so much more success in, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. This could, this, this, this could take somebody from getting hundred quid towards a venture for, to in the thousands. Um, you guys raised over a fucking million. You know, one, one of the things I loved about it is the, you know, you reward the investors. It's not just like cheers for the money. You know, you give them something special at the end of it, you know, you, and you had that tracker that you had going on, you had all these things to keep people invested. And I, I, I mean, like it it was, um, you know, I, I think honestly, like, you know, without trying to kiss too much ass, I think you you guys just did a masterful job of it. And I, I I think it's a book that money matters to everyone, right? There's, there's no one, there's no one out there that's going to say, yeah, money's not, money's not important in my life. So whether it's someone that's working at McDonald's and wants to work their way up or someone that's planning an event. I mean, the only people it's not going to work for are people in the army because you go and ask for a pay rise and they'll tell you fuck off. <laughs> but like, it's a highly valuable book. Um, but before we wrap up, um, I was actually mentioning to, I was talking to my mom earlier 
and I was talking about, um, you know, the, I was talking about you and I was talking about Emily and, you know, you know, my mum said, God, I wish there was things around like this. Cause my mum was a, a business owner and entrepreneur. And she said, I wish there was things around like this when, you know, when I was in business. So can you, can you talk a bit about, about what you've been up to, you know, this weekend and, and kind of like, I guess the power of network and the power of learning from people that are in the same kind of positions as you. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what, Jude, I'm going to, because I think one of the most important things in the book that I, I want to make sure, especially for your community. And it's something that because I work with Dean and I've worked with Dean ever since he transitioned out of the military and he got these little courses that you get, you know, he got his medical discharge and then he gets his little course of how to write a CV and all the various things and then sent out into the big bad world. So useful. <laughs> yeah, so useful. And I I went to some of those things and I was like, oh, holy shit, like this is really bad, you know, because a lot of the guys that come out, they're going, let's just say, for example, the security field, it's a big, a big industry for people to go into once they leave. So there's a big step there, for example, that you're now leaving from an employed world to a self-employed. So again, make sure that you kind of sort that out. But the one thing that I find with any veteran that I work with is trying to get them to understand their value. And it's something that I go a bit deeper into in the book. But um, with, with even with Dean, Dean will go out and he will save people. He'll evacuate embassies. He'll do all these incredible things. But try and get him to send an invoice for doing it. It's like, no, not doing it. Can't do it. It's too hard. And I spend so much time trying to get him to understand his value and to understand the value of what it is that he does. But because for you guys, what you've done before is all about life, like that literally is the value of your your job is is life. To understand that what it is that you you do afterwards is really difficult. And then to then put a price on it and send an invoice out is super hard. So for people that are struggling to do that, that are struggling to send those invoices and, and, and understand their own value, it really is put down on on paper what it is that you're doing and what it is that how you're benefiting that person and how how they're going to, you know, for example, Dean's a way of rescuing someone who's just been kidnapped in Colombia. If that person isn't rescued, what did, what is the cost of that to his family, to his company, to everything else that goes on from that? And so, cause I always say you have to send an invoice before you go and do the rescue. And he'll be like, this is a person's life, Alana. We need to go in. I'm like, yeah, but this is your business and you still have to understand the value of that. So regardless of whether you've been a fireman, a nurse, a, a veteran, it's really difficult to, to understand your own value. So that's a really important part of the book. Before we move on to the other bit, sorry, can I just jump in real quick? Cause I, I think you just brought up a fucking brilliant point there, which is, I mean, especially someone with Dean's background, but even every soldier, you've had hundreds of thousands of pounds invested in your quote-unquote education. Now, if you went to do an MBA at a university, you know, you, you, pay, your, you pay like, let's, off the top of my head, let's say it's 100 grand to do an MBA, and then you charge accordingly to that. But soldiers don't do that. They pay, they, they base it on their wage rather than their training. So I think that was a brilliant point. So sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to get that. It is part of that university education. If you're going to become a lawyer, you, there's smoke blowing up your ass the whole time. If you go to Harvard, for example, you are like, you are the shit. You are like doing this and you're, um, so when you go to send that 500, you know, press the button on $500 an hour, um, to speak to someone. It is not a problem. They, you'd never hear of a lawyer saying, 
you know, I'm, I don't want to charge for that. And I know that I'm helping. I don't want it's a bit much. You know, they they push that button as soon as lumber, you know. Um, but for a soldier, they don't get that. You know, they'll get all that training. You know, special forces are in there for six months or doing all that. But none of that training is saying how they're not told how special they are. They're told how shit they are. And they're told how they're not working hard enough. <laughs> and they're told all these things. So, yeah, they get the education in universities. So so don't ever undervalue yourself just because you weren't told it during the training phase, for sure. Yeah. So sorry, mate, I, I cut you off there. But um, can you just talk a little bit about more? I just want to give a shout out to the kind of the things that you've been doing this weekend with this kind of women's group, because I'm sure it's probably going to interest some of our listeners to like, not necessarily even this group, but the, just the power of these kind of like networks, um, bouncing ideas off each other, all this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, it was, um, so, so Dean had been recording a podcast with Andy and I met Emily and she's an amazing woman. And she had this, she has this woman in business contract uh, um, conference. And it's basically win without the woohoo. That's what she describes it as. So she says there's enough kind of bullshit women in business program that's just like oh I love you I love you too you're amazing this kind of fluffy fluffy stuff this is about like really making impact and building your businesses and just being a bit more kick-ass with what you're doing so I loved that and I thought to myself well some of the things that I do I could help I could give some of that information I could certainly learn things but I could also give some of that information but Emily really didn't know me from from anybody I was just you know Dean's wife sitting there waiting for me to finish the podcast and I actually just approached Emily and I just said, look, this is what I do. And I'd love to speak at your conference. Would you, would you mind having me? And uh, she, she got a bit more information and she was really, really happy. So we, we went on and funny, just walking past right now. It's quite funny. Um, but she, she puts this conference together with some of the most amazing speakers. And um, we had uh, Natalie Eva Marie, who's a WWE girl. Her story was, was fantastic. Um and it's, I guess there was about 100 plus women there, all successful in their own right, every one of them. And we would do the, uh, whether it be a workshop, presentation, a speak, and then we would all just get together of the evenings. It really was just, uh, I guess, a big networking session and meeting like-minded women. But it really did turn into something quite powerful for me because I was able to speak about not only the how to ask for money or the she who dares, but the work in human trafficking and various other things that we we do. And there was a lot of people that I was able to kind of, again, with the fundraising, um, how to look at different things, how to ask for different things. I'm really hoping that a lot of people were able to take some stuff from it and learn. But I'm not a huge networker myself because I'm a total introvert. You know, you've met me and Dean. Dean's the the outgoing one. He's a loud one. He's the one in your. I'm the the quieter one behind the scenes, just just kind of doing doing stuff. But I I really enjoy, I've been in networking meetings before, and yeah, they can get boring. They can get alcohol fueled, and then you're not really doing much. But this, what Emily does, is pretty special, and I was really I was really blessed to be part of it. Now, there's two more things that I need to talk to you about before we wrap up, mate. We'll finish with the books, but first of all. Tell us about the podcast you got coming up. Okay, it's me and Dean have created that together. That's or am I jumping the gun here? Is this too early to talk about it, or can can we could talk about the podcast? You know, I've been waiting to release it um, because Dean's got a show um, that I want that I can't reveal, but that's going to be coming out soon. So um, we were waiting to release the podcast to kind of coincide, but it's taking a little bit longer. Um, so we're going to release it really soon. So it's totally fine, but. 
we came up with it together, really. I, I said that Dean needed to have a bit more of a voice out there. And I really enjoy, I enjoy Zoom podcasts and I enjoy talking about certain things and the Q&A style of things. But we spoke about the dynamics of our relationship. And our relationship, as I've just said, is Dean's out there doing his thing and I'm kind of behind the scenes doing all the background stuff. And it's been that since since we set up the security company, uh, Dean's always on the ground. I'm always doing logistics planning, all that kind of things behind the scenes. And specifically when it came to the bike ride, sure, Dean broke the two world records and, you know, done something that was like out of this world amazing. But I was doing the fundraising and the planning and all the things that went on behind the scenes. And it took me to every time I would see someone do something amazing, I always kind of went, oh, who's behind him? Who's kind of done or her? Like, who's who's doing it? Uh, and I would learn a little bit more about that person. And then I would realize that there was like this dynamics in these types of couples that that was was unique. But I feel like there were so many people, like normal people who are in that same position, you know, maybe you've both got ambition, but then one of you has to stay back with the kids and one of you goes out to to do the job. One of you kind of gets that glory moment where the other one's always just kind of handling things behind the scenes. And I wanted to find out what the dynamics were of that. So we really just started interviewing couples and, and, and pairs. And it's been fascinating because so much things are very similar in these kind of groups of people. And, and, and many people that you see like front and center they're like, couldn't do any of it without her, couldn't do a thing of it without, I'd still be stuck like working in the gym or whatever. Um, so we're finding it really interesting. We're fi- and we think it could really, really help people, especially those people that are in that situation where they're starting to build that resentment around the people that they're with and like, he's getting all this and who am I? And I've lost my identity. I don't know who I am anymore. So that was the aim is to, is to help people. So it's called Behind the Scene. And I think we're looking at releasing in August. Well, I'm looking forward to that because I mean, I don't know if you caught the end of Wimbledon yesterday, but you know, the first thing the guy did when he won was get up in the box and like hug all his coaches, his family, you know, and it, cause he knew, he knew he wasn't there without any of those people. And you know, I, I, I love that. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Now let's finish with, um, where, where's the best people? Uh, where's the best place for people to get the book? Um, so I'm going to say Amazon. Like you're you're in the UK, Jess, so I'd get you to search it for me. But Amazon's probably the the number one. So, sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I will link it up in the show notes. But do you have signed copies or anything like that? Yeah, I've got in in the US. I've got signed copies. I would love to have some over in the UK as well. I'm so sorry. I know that's your 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 audience too. Um, but yeah, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, all these kind of usual bookselling places. Alana dot com i've got signed copies on as well um and then uh, you know instagram etc you can hit me up if you need anything brilliant um let's finish with anything that's on your mind that you'd like to tell people before we leave it, it doesn't have to be ch- it doesn't have to be churchillian <laughs> but if just if you've got any messages if, if you just got anything that you want to promote anything anything that you want to leave people with because we are going to have you back to go over your next book which i'm i'm, I'm really excited about um I mean, like I said, you're a prolific writer. You've been banging them out. And um, I think the other book deserves its own episode. So we will have you back. But if there's anything you want to leave, anything you want to promote or anything like that other than the book, then um, now's your chance. You have a lot going on um, with How to Ask for Money. She Who Dares comes out on the 31st of July. I've got the three kids' books that are coming out throughout the year. But they've all, they all follow the same theme. So behind the scenes podcast, it's all about just 
just really just getting off your ass and just doing and just just being like no there's so much complaining going on in the world there's so much victimhood and excuses and it's just like if you want to succeed none of that's going to work so I think each one of my books whether it is how to ask for money and showing you how how to actually be successful in fundraising she who dares is about um empowerment I guess and it's about how you can overcome absolutely anything and where you start doesn't dictate where you live and my kids books are called live your own way um who to help today and me and my friends play and they're all based on living the life that you want to live in a life that helps people and a life that is fulfilled so um I, I feel like that's my my theme and that's what I'm trying to carry out through each book is about and about the giving back side of it as well you're gonna be getting another MBA at this right <laughs> how many MBAs are you allowed to have you're gonna you have a row like that but uh it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, mate. Um, hopefully, I'll be seeing you in October. Um, I will be out in Southern California, so please prepare a hammock for me. <laughs> you can spoon with Dean. I've told you that any time. Won't be the first time. You, you know, you know the story about me and him sharing a bath. No. Do I? Um, so when we went down to London to do the meeting, they, they, we basically had the choice. They said, "Well, you can have two rooms, or you can have one room with a desk." So we took the room with a desk. Me and Dean were in bed together watching Bake Off. And I said to him, I said, do you reckon this is the first time a ghostwriter slept with the author? I didn't know that. That's unbelievable. I didn't know you got offered the two rooms as well. That's kind of disturbing because you could have just taken one room with a desk and then took the other room and somebody could have slept in that. You know, you had that option by the sounds of it, but you didn't want that. So it's a bit bit strange. Not an option for military guys. (laughs) I got to say, he's a nice, cozy sleeper. Um... But mate, thank you so much. Please say hello to Emily and Andy for me. Uh, I really appreciate your time. I'm going to link everything out in the show notes and um, I'll try and get you on as soon as possible to get it around the release day. Um, recommend everybody check out the the book. But the problem is next time we do a book together, now you're in trouble because I've read this book. <laughs> so, so um, mate, thank you so much for your time, Lana. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the work you've been doing. Congratulations again, and uh, all the best, mate. Take care. Cheers, mate. Have a good day.